Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. All right, Ross, today we are going to talk about a topic that you and I get really excited about. Now, maybe maybe not everybody gets excited about this. It's kind of a, we're going to nerd out a little bit because today we're going to answer the question, what is systematic theology? Now, before we even get into that, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to talk about all these different ologies today, all of the, all these different studies of God's word. And I'm, like I said, I'm super geeked out about this. But before we get into any of that, let's just talk about kind of what, how people can use this in their churches and their small groups and their personal lives, maybe for family devotionals. We've got a series at PursueGod.org called Systematic Theology, PursueGod.org forward slash SysTheo. It's a 12-week, it's a 12-week really intensive discipleship track. You could, there's a coursework journal that goes along with it for people who want to do that. It, it really is more like a little mini seminary class for people. So there's so there's so much that, that people can use at PursueGod.org around this topic. I love bringing people through this. In fact, right now I'm currently bringing my church through this series. We had over 30 people sign up for it. People are excited about it. So this, in essence, is like an, can serve as an introduction to that 12-week course. But I think it's really important for people to understand systematic theology, for people who didn't you know, go to seminary like you and I did, Ross. Um, let's just start with this. Like, What are we talking about when we're talking about systematic theology? Well, as the two words imply, the word theology is the study of God. Literally, it means the theos is God and logos is a study. So theology is the study of God or related to things related to God. And systematic just means it's organized. So the Bible is not necessarily organized through all the topics that are covered in there. So we have to go back into the Bible and say, okay, what does the Bible say about this issue, that issue, the other thing? And so we create categories. It's a discipline that organizes and presents the beliefs and doctrines of the Christian faith in a coherent way. And so really, uh, I, this is something, I know I know people might shy away from this, if because it, it seems too much like school, but Really, this is something that people are going to be enriched by, as you've experienced, and I have too, and as we've shared with this with different people, people are enriched by it because they go, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, now I understand. Oh, oh, now I have all the dots are connected and the gaps are filled in. So we really, it, because, because we're taking time in systematic theology to say, okay, let's organize what the Bible says about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about salvation. And then, you know, you can see then then how that can fill up our knowledge of these kind of things. So it's uh, we're trying to organize and present the beliefs and doctrines of Christianity in a coherent way. Yeah, so in a sense, systematic theology answers the question, what does the Bible say about blank? Right? But it's taken together. So 
So when if in chapter one we we answer this question, then in chapter five we answer another question, it's going to make sense together. It's not going to contradict itself. So really there are different approaches to systematic theology. If you Google systematic theology, if you go uh, go to Amazon or go to your Christian bookstore and look in the systematic theology section, you'll have different authors, you'll have different takes. Um, you'll There'll be a lot of threads that are pulled through, uh, but that's essentially what systematic theology is. And, and, and listeners, keep listening, because at the end today, we'll talk about other types of theology. But we're talking today about systematic theology. Some people are more systematic thinkers. I am. I'm a math guy. I have my master's in math, and so I, I'm really drawn to systematic theology because it's a it's a math almost like a mathematical approach to theology. It's like, yeah, I want to know this and that and the other thing. And so, why don't we start with some of the categories that you will that we cover or that most systematic theologies cover? Let's just take twelve today. That seems like a biblical number. So the first one, Ross, is theology proper. What is that? Right, we call it theology proper because I said that the word theology means the study of God. Well, theology, we use the word more broadly to study everything related to God and biblical teaching. And so, theology proper is the narrower version. It deals with the study of God Himself, the being, the person of God. It talk, it talks about what is the nature of God, what are the attributes of God. Um, things like his omniscience and omnipotence. Those are not terms found in the Bible, but the concepts are found in the Bible. His his omnibenevolence, which means the, the perfect goodness of God. His transcendence. Um, his mission, his purpose in the world. And I think part of it is, you know, there's a lot of things we cover when you think about the nature of God the work, the person, the work of God. We think about what is, how does God's nature deal with the question of evil and suffering, and all of those things about who God is. They all deal with theology proper, and we cover that in our Sistheo series. We cover that largely in lesson two in the series, and lesson one in the series, in part, covers the next thing that we're going to find in our list, which is bibliology. What is bibliology? That's a that's a fun word. To, to talk about, but what, what do we mean by that when we use the word? It means the study of the Bible itself. Now, this comes, in, in this list, it comes second. In some lists, it comes first, like you mentioned in, in our course on systematic theology. It comes first because this is where we get all of our data about all the other things. This is where we find out what God is like. And so some people think, well, it starts with God because he made everything. And, and other people, another perspective is it starts with a study of, the, of God's revelation of himself in the Bible because that's where we get all the data from. And so we're talking about issues related to the inspiration of the Bible, the authority of the Bible, the inerrancy of the Bible. How to interpret the Bible is an important question. And, and it, actually, bibliology is part of a larger uh, study of the larger question of revelation. How does God reveal himself? He reveals himself through the Bible, but also through the person of Jesus Christ, and also in his handiwork and creation. And so bibliology then takes... Um, its place in reflection on all the different ways that God might reveal himself. But it's a good place to start because the Bible then becomes our reference point for everything that we think about all the issues that we're talking about. Yeah, and this is why How God Reveals Himself is Lesson 1 in our SysTheo series. So if you're continuing on to do systematic theology at PursueGod.org, 
you'll talk about quite a bit about bibliology. There's a ton there. We talk about the canonicity of God's word. There's just there's so much to jump into when it comes to bibliology. Okay, Ross, another category that shows up in most systematic theologies has to do with creation and also providence. What this is talking about is the really the work of God. What has God done? What does he do? Okay, so this is the foundational to that. First of all, God made everything. And so what's the origin of the universe? What's the purpose of the universe? And then how does God take care? How does God work in the universe now that he's made it? And that's the idea of providence and his care of his creation and his governance of his creation. So God's governance and his providence are ongoing works of God with respect to the world, the universe that he made. And so this is really talking about then what has God done and what is he doing, you know, in the world today. Okay, and then the another category, this is a big one, this is huge, and it's Christology. So remember, ology means the study of, so Christology, that one's easy, it's the study of Jesus. Yeah, like you mentioned, this is just a very broad topic, and this is, again, at the heart of Christianity, like it's a study of Jesus. And what that, in, what that means is, like, who is he? What is his nature? You know, the deity of Jesus, his life before he was incarnate into the world, his divine attributes, his human attributes. What does it mean that he is the Savior? What is his mission? What does it mean that he is the judge? Um, what is his relationship to God the Father and the Holy Spirit? So we're, we're beginning here to talk about, we don't have a separate category where we talk about the Trinity, but the Trinity, the nature of the Trinity comes in when we talk about uh, theology proper, and then we talk about Christology, and we talk about the Holy Spirit later. But so we're talking about what's the relationship between the Father and the Son, the Spirit and the Son. And a lot of these things can fall into other categories, like we're going to talk about the Spirit, we're going to talk about salvation in another category, but all these things are connected through the person and the work of Jesus. So it's a great topic. It's very, it's very enriching. It, to, to study Christology, it's really an act of worship because it's, it stimulates not only our minds, but it stimulates our hearts um, and our affections uh, toward, toward Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And it's important because, like we always say, what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you, because what you believe about Jesus is the thing that impacts your eternal destiny. And so I, the statement I just made there overlaps a lot of categories in, as we're going to see, in systematic theology. And so anyway, Christology is something we study in this, in the systematic theology theology series we study that in lesson 4 we dive into christology and it is it's it's so rich so we encourage you to check out lesson 4 ross the next ology might not be clear to people christology is obvious it's a, the study of christ but pneumatology what's that the study of yeah pneumatology is the study of the holy spirit pneuma is the greek word for spirit okay and it comes into english when you think about filling things with air, pneumatic tires and stuff like that. But, but that's a, a, a long ways away from the idea of the Spirit. So pneumatology is focusing on who the Holy Spirit is, what is his nature, uh, his deity. And it talks about his work in, in general, generally speaking, but his work in creation, his work in, um, 
in inspiring scripture and all the rest. And so, but in particular, we want to talk a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. That's really a really significant part of the Christian life. And so how does the Spirit come into play in bringing a person to faith? Call that regeneration. In bringing a person uh, to a fullness of maturity, sanctification. How does the Holy Spirit come in in empowering uh, people for ministry? And so the study of the Holy Spirit is, can, is not just abstract, but it's very practical. We cover that in week number five in our Sistheo series. And by the way, if you want to know how air or wind is connected to the Holy Spirit, you know, this Greek word pneuma, John 3, 8, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, he said, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So there's a connection to the idea of, of the Holy Spirit and wind or breath so that's pneumatology. Ross, the next one sounds a little bit secular. It sounds like something you might study in college. In fact, it is. And the word is anthropology. So if if anyone ever studied anthropology in college, how is that different from what we mean when we say anthropology in Sistheo? Well, I studied anthropology in college. It was a minor of mine. So this is this is different. It's the same topic. It's the same subject because anthropo, anthropos means a, a human being. Anthropology is the study of humanity. But it can be done from a secular perspective. You're looking at what are the, what's the nature of human relationships, the human societies, and, and all the rest. But from a biblical perspective, it, it gives us this, again, richness to understand the nature of human beings, to understand human beings as created in the image of God, human beings as fallen in sin. And it talks about the concept of sin and how that works out in human experience and the implications of the fall. It talks about the, I guess you could call the, the history of, of human beings, the human race, going back to creation and the fall, and then the way that we have worked out culture and history through, through a biblical perspective and how human nature has been expressed and then ultimately, it talks about what's the future destiny of human beings as well. well that, that translates into some other categories as well. But to under, fully understand human beings, to fully understand ourselves and who we are in God's perspective, is um, just it can be so insightful and also sobering, but also liberating. Yeah, we cover anthropology in week six in our Sistheo series. And then Ross connected to it. And now we're starting to get into some of the difficult-to-pronounce words. We have this study called hamartiology. What's that? Well, good job. You pronounced that quite correctly. So <laughs> hamartia is this the Greek word for sin. And so this is a subset in kind of a way of anthropology, but it allows us to dig in more fully into this, this aspect of humanity that, um, that sin enters in. So study of sin talking about the origin of sin, the consequences of sin, um, as well as the theological understanding of the impact of sin on individuals, the impact of sin on human society, because the gospel, uh, what Jesus has done, is a response to the human problem, and the human problem is, is deeply rooted in the, the, need, the uh, issue of sin. And so that's why this becomes an important aspect of systematic theology, because the Bible talks about sin in many different ways. 
Yeah, and that sets you up for, I don't know, arguably the maybe the most practically important category, subcategory in systematic theology, and it's soteriology, because this one is about salvation. And Ross, this this is one where I think this is one when people take some of these topics in our Sistio class, this is where it just the rubber really meets the road. Yeah, it's great because you do see a lot of lights go on and people go, oh, you know, yeah, it's the study of salvation. Soteriology is the study of salvation. And so there's so many things there. Again, this overlaps with this Christology, but it delves into topics like the atonement. That is, how does Christ's death reconcile human beings with God? And what are the different theories of the atonement? What are the different approaches to the Bible? What are the different aspects of that that are explored in the Bible? It talks about justification, how people are declared righteous before God. And so all the different ways that um, the work of Christ is applied to human beings and um, all the angles on that, and there's a lot of variety of ways that that is expressed in the Bible. And so systematic theology is saying, let's take all the biblical data about salvation and pull it all together and categorize it, make it coherent um, in the theme, the field of soteriology. And we get into that in weeks seven and eight of our Sistheo series. Two of my favorite topics to talk about with people who are new to Sistheo, because like you said, Ross, it really does, man, it really does kind of flip on the light switch for so many people, uh, you know, people who have come to faith and now you look back on it and study then like how that happened for you. Because, you know, when you come to faith in Christ, you're, you're not necessarily aware of what's really going on um, inside of you or in the spirit realm or whatever. And we get into all that in soteriology in weeks seven and eight. The next one, what are we on? I think number nine, Ross, is ecclesiology. That's another tough one to say. Ecclesiology uh, is the study of the church. And maybe sometimes you've heard the word ecclesia. There's some churches that are called ecclesia. That's just the Greek word for church. So I guess if you're ecclesia church, you're really church church. I don't know. Yeah, I think those pastors are have dogs that they just name dog and dog, cats dog, that they yeah. name cat. Yeah. 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 So there's something about throwing in some Greek, right? That somehow makes <laughs> it right. legit, right? I don't know. Anyway. But ecclesi- ecclesiology is all about the nature and purpose of the church. And everything the Bible says about that, pull it all together and say, well, what what does the Bible say about um, you know, what the church even is and what what why God created it? And it's leadership structures, it's practical. What's the leadership of the church? What are the um, practices of the church? We talk about the, the sacraments or the ordinances of the church. And what's the role of the church in the world? And what's the future of the church? And also, I mean, a lot of people in ecclesiology are grappling with the question of what's the relationship between the church and Israel? You know, sort of Old Testament, New Testament. And, um, and so, really, the ecclesiology is a pretty wide-ranging subject, and there's a lot of it that's practical that I think a lot of students can really relate to. Oh, this is, oh, that's why we do things the way we do, because the Bible explains some certain things about the nature of the church. And we get into that in week 10 in our Sistheo series. And then, Ross, another category, uh, another tough one to articulate, but very important, and also pretty popular 
every generation finds this really popular, and it's the study called eschatology. What's that one? Eschatology is the study of the what we call last things, or people call end times. Es- eschaton. The eschaton is the final, the final day, and so it's it's about you know topics about what's happening in the future and how God will wrap up history. Uh, talk topics about like the second coming of Jesus. What what's that going to be like, and when does it happen? Um, the resurrection of human beings. Um, what happens in judgment? What's heaven like? What's hell like? And what's the final destiny of humanity? What are all the the things that lead up to those final events? And so, what? How does that relate to you know history? Is history being written in in the future tense? And so, of course, inquiring minds want to know. So these are some of the ones that some of the best selling books are written on eschatology because we're very curious about what's going on in the history of the world that we live in and where that's all headed, and whether we can see elements of the future sort of uh, being started in our own lifetimes. So eschatology is, and there's a lot of issues in eschatology and, and uh, that have to be solved and where the Bible is not always clear about everything. And so systematic theology is a way to say, hey, we're really going to try to pull together the different data points of the Bible and see if they, if you know, what makes sense. Yeah. So if you've ever read the book series Left Behind, really popular book series, you were engaged in eschatology. Little did you know, it was super entertaining. But that's there's an es- eschatological framework behind those kinds of works, Ross. And interestingly, it, it's not um, that viewpoint that probably most evangelical Christians have today when it comes to eschatology, pre-trib, post-trib, that kind of stuff is is really different than than probably Christians and other generations would have articulated. So it's super interesting. We cover eschatology in the last two weeks of our Sistheo series. And then, Ross, just a couple more categories to throw in there, just to prove to our listeners that Sistheo that covers way more categories than we can cover in 12 weeks. Uh, one more category that we're not going to get into too much in our Sistheo class is angelology and demonology. There's an and in there, so there are really two categories we lump together, right? Because they're similar. And th- that talks about the existence and the nature of other beings that God has created beside human beings, beings that exist in, a, in the spiritual realm, not necessarily the physical realm. The, the role, the nature of angels, both good angels and fallen angels, the nature of demons, including Satan, by the way. How do, what does the Bible say about all that? What are their roles in the spiritual realm? What are their interactions with humanity? What, what's the purpose of all that? And so that's, that's something that has practical implications in the Christian life, as well as providing us with this larger framework of understanding the way God made uh, the world to work. So angelology and demonology is um, an important part of systematic theology. Okay, one more subcategory for now. And we're going to, we cover this tangentially, but it's covenant theology. What's that? Yeah, the Bible talks about God relating to human beings through covenants, where the Mosaic covenant, now Jesus says, I brought a new covenant. And so, covenant theology, now some traditions of Christian thinking have emphasized the role of covenants in. Um, God's working with humanity, and some emphasize it more, some emphasize it less. And the idea of covenants creates 
uh, some framework for understanding how God relates to humanity. And the question is, well, what does that mean? And what does that say to us? And what do we learn from looking at the different covenants? The covenant of God made with Abraham, the covenant God made with Noah, and with all the others that go throughout the Bible, saying, well, let's take that biblical data and pull it together in a coherent manner. Now, People do that in a different in different ways and come up with different conclusions, and so it's that helps us to say, okay, well, which way of doing that makes more sense is more true to everything the Bible has to say, and then exploring the implications of those approaches. Um, so, covenant theology has become come to be known as a a subset of systematic theology that that some people emphasize more than others. Okay, so that. That was kind of our first pass at at the categories related to systematic theology. But let's zoom out just a little bit, Ross, and and we're still talking about systematic theology. Let's talk a little bit about the scriptural basis for all of this, because again, systematic theologians aren't just like sitting down with each other and saying, "All right, let's think, let's see what we think about all these different categories." It really all of this is based on scripture. If we look at the the different things that characterize the nature of systematic theology, this is a key one. Number one, as we've said, this is that, that there's uh, coherent categories. We've talked about 12 of those categories. But another thing that characterizes the very nature or essence of systematic theology is it's rooted in the Bible. The Bible is the primary source for systematic theology. I think we've mentioned this, that you know you kind of go through the Bible and find out everything that it says about a certain topic— and so the, the theologian will analyze and interpret biblical passages to draw out the theological truths and the principles that are there. Now, different Christian denominations will emphasize different things or interpret different things differently, and so there's variations in systematic theology. But that's part of the, of the process of this classification series is talking about, oh, where do we draw the lines? Oh, and what uh, data is more prominent than other data? And how do we interpret one thing the Bible says in light of something else the Bible says? And so all of that is built into systematic theology, but at the root of it, it's an attempt to understand everything the Bible says about each of these topics. Ross, talk about kind of the historical development of systematic theology. You know, if we if we were talking about this 500 years ago, it would look different than it, again. It's all still rooted in Scripture, but there's still a there's still an aspect of development through the course of history when it comes to systeo. Everybody is going to understand the Bible in light of current happenings, in light of things that people discovered before. Um, so there's all. We're not saying there's any kind of new truth, but we're saying that historically there's maybe some new appreciation of truth or or some emphasis on on one truth that that maybe has sort of been uh, seen in a new light. And so it, systematic theology will try to take into account how Christian doctrine has developed over history, theological formulations, debates that took place in the early church as well as in later centuries, those are all in the backdrop. 
And so systematic theologians, those are influencing how we construct our systematic theologies, because people have talked about that in the past. And we go, oh, well, that doesn't make sense to us anymore, but it made sense in that framework, in that time frame, when, um, when the conditions in, the, in civilization were different than they are today. Um, it makes sense how we would now interpret the Bible or understand how the Bible fits together in light of the things that they learned before and maybe the things where they were wrong before. And so uh, there is a historical piece to doing systematic theology. Yeah, and a big part of that, Ross, then would be the historic creeds and confessions, right, from the from the early church. How, does that way—and we talked about how it's really based on Scripture, but how do creeds and confessions fit in? The creeds and confessions were simply abbreviated ways of trying to capture what the Scripture said about important things. And so if, if you read the Nicene Creed, for example, it talks about the nature of the Father. It talks about the nature of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit. It talks about uh, the things that really are, are categories that we discussed earlier. Um, and so many Christian traditions have produced confessions and statements of faith that summarize their core beliefs. So they're, they're doing systematic theology in a practical way. And so... That reflects the understanding of different communities of Scripture, different uh, cultural communities. That also un- uh, it also reflects the understanding of the historical piece that we just talked about. And so, systematic theologians will refer to these documents, uh, to the creeds, confessions, and statements of faith. They're not the authority, but they are ways that people have sought to express the beliefs, the doctrines that the Bible teaches. Okay, so that was systematic theology in 30 minutes. That was really good. And Ross, before we close out this episode, I think one of the one of the ways to really understand and, and just r- really put this together as far as answering what is systematic theology is to talk about other types of theology, uh, that are not systematic. Because some people might have listened to all that and say, okay, so you're just talking about theology. And, and our answer is no, we're talking about systematic theology. So then their question is, okay, wait, what, what are, is that, isn't that the only type of theology? And no, there are, there are actually lots of other types of theology, theologies. Let's give five of them. Okay. So again, this will really help people to understand what systematic theology is and isn't. So one type of theology that Christians engage in all the time, whether they know it or not, is just something that we would call biblical theology. What is that, and how is that different from sistheo? That's a great question. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Biblical theology is pretty important because it says it, it, it takes the Bible and lets it speak for itself, but instead of trying to systematize everything the Bible as a whole says from Genesis to Revelation, biblical theology talk tries to understand the themes and teachings that are found within segments of the Bible itself. And so you're going to say, we're going to look at, for example, what does John's gospel say about the nature of Jesus? Or or even more than that, what is what are all the writings of John taken together? John's the corpus it's called, of, of the things that John wrote. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and John's Gospel. What does it tell us about the nature of salvation, for example? Or what, is it, what, is, what do Paul's writings tell us about 
how he interprets the Old Testament. And then we might compare those. We might compare Paul versus John and the emphasis that each one of them has. Or you might talk about what's the development of thought uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Or what does Daniel teach us about eschatology? And so it's more, it's more specifically rooted in Scripture. It doesn't necessarily try to systematize over all of Scripture, but it's asking the question about how a particular writer or a particular corpus deals with a particular subject. Is it fair to say, Ross, that for any of our listeners who have done a book study at church, that it's likely that they're, they're probably doing more biblical theology than they're doing systematic theology? Yeah, that's a good illustration of how, of how that applies. Now, the minute they start going outside of that book and they start saying, oh, well, let's see, then they start to, to drift into systematic theology, probably more so. Okay, a second type of theology is called historical theology. Now, this isn't just history class. This is still theology, or it's still the study of God, but it has this, you know, this modifier that it's historical. What does that mean? Yeah, this kind of relates to what we talked about a minute ago, about how systematic theology has a historical component to it. But this is more specifically uh, focused, where historical theology is exploring the development of Christian doctrine, the development of theology. So the Nicene Creed, for example, was was created in the 4th century. So that's several hundred years after the Bible was written. And so the Nicene Creed reflects questions that had arisen in the culture of the Roman Empire at that time. And it reflects questions that were raised by people thinking about theology. And in particular, particular questions that were raised by heretical or aberrant groups. And so the church said, well, how are we going to respond to this teaching that's out there that's not biblical? And so historical theology explores how Christian doctrine and theology has developed throughout the history of the Christian church, and it examines the writings and the theological debates of theologians and church leaders from different periods of time. Now, this next one is a type of theology that we sometimes engage in right here on this podcast, and it's called comparative theology. What's that? Comparative theology involves, like it, like it says, comparing but less so about the, it, the internal debates uh, within a certain movement or whatever, but talking about comparing theological beliefs uh, between different religious traditions. It could be religious traditions within the broader Christian movement, but it could also be trying to understand the similarities and differences between completely different kinds of religion, completely different faith systems like Hinduism and Christianity, or Islam and Christianity, and so forth. And so comparative theology says, okay, this is what we're teaching, and this is what we understand, this is what these people are teaching, how do those things uh, compete, how do those things overlap? And what's really the relationship between those two uh, kinds of um, teachings? Yeah, an example of this, Ross, uh, uh, earlier this year, we did a series on our Unveiling Mormonism podcast called What Mormons Believe. Five weeks on what Mormons believe compared to what evangelical Christians believe, that's comparative theology. And so if you want to learn more about that, if you're interested in that, check out our Unveiling Mormonism podcast or... Check out our resources. You can find that whole series and a bunch of other topics on that kind of comparative theology. You can find that at PursueGod.org. 
forward slash Mormonism. But we've also done topics and we'll do more topics on, you know, Arminians versus Calvin, Calvinists, right? And so that is engaging in comparative theology. It doesn't have to be within Christianity, but it, it could be. And that's, again, a spicy way to do theology, I think. Ross, the next one I think could be confusing to people because we're going to talk about natural theology. And I want to just make sure that our Christian listeners know that even biblical Christians can engage in natural theology. This isn't just like a secular thing or an agnostic or atheist thing. Yeah, because what we mean by natural theology, that's not by comparison to like unnatural theology. It's by comparison to the idea of supernatural theology, which is what is the how has God revealed himself in Scripture. But natural theology is exploring theological questions through reason, through philosophy, through observation of the natural world, uh, rather than relying entirely on divine revelation. And so it's based on the principle that every human being is made in the image of God, and it's based on the principle that God has revealed himself in his creation, that, um, that the, the heavens declare the glory of God, the psalm says. And so it's trying to find evidence for God's existence and attributes. What is God like um, in nature and in human reason? Certainly from a biblical, from a Christian perspective, there are huge limitations to that because it, that's like saying we're not going to really open the whole book, so to speak. We're just going to look at a limited aspect of, of the data that's available to us. But natural theology has a role, it has a place when you consider that it's really a bridge to uh, people who have not accepted the authority of Scripture yet. And it really can help to point them in the right direction when we think about how God has expressed himself in human beings, in his nature, and in his creation, and all the rest, and given us the capacity to think now logically about things or to understand things. Um, it's a bridge to the person who's in that world. Yeah, in a sense, every person does natural theology. That's essentially what general revelation tells us. We'll talk about this in week one in our Sistheo series, that God has revealed himself just through nature, and so people are without excuse. So even atheists are natural theologians. They just have, because again, all that means is I'm studying God through nature. Everyone does that just instinctively. You study God through nature. Now, an atheist has kind of come to a different conclusion than a Christian is, but that's why I think it's important for Christians to to engage in natural theology in a sense that that if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, then then arguing from Scripture isn't going to help them. So you might have to build a bridge and and help them to uh, to see God's wonder and glory and power by just looking at the mountains, you know, looking at nature. So that's natural theology. One more, Ross. Again, there's so many more we could talk about, but let's cover one more. And the last one is practical theology. What's that about? So practical theology, like the name suggests, it talks about how you take the truth of God and apply it into life, into ministry situations. So it's trying to connect the academic discipline of theology. Systematic theology can be pretty academic. Trying to connect it more fully to the practices of of faith and of ministry. And so it talks about ethics, for example. That's a subset of practical theology. It's how do you live the best possible life? How do you do the right thing? Another aspect of 
practical theology is called pastoral theology, which that in, that's talking about what how do you worship in the local church? How what's preaching supposed to be about? What is the what does the Bible say about Christian education and Christian counseling and making disciples and all the things that the church and people in ministry do? Another aspect of practical theology is missiology, the study of missions or God's mission. What's the history and the methodology of how God's people pursue his mission, evangelism, and global evangelism in particular, um, throughout the world? So that's all under the heading of practical theology. Well, there you have it. Ross, good job. That's a 40-minute intro to systematic theology, a perfect introduction to our 12-week series at PursueGod.org. So if you want to go through this with your family, with a small group, or one-on-one with a mentor, again, this is an intensive discipleship track, which means you'll be listening to the full podcast lesson for each of the 12 lessons ahead, and then you will, if you want to, you'll have an opportunity to pick up a book uh, to study along with it, um, and you'll also have a coursework journal that you can use. All of that can be found online, PursueGod.org forward slash, forward slash sis. Theo, I hope you enjoy it. And join us next week on the podcast because we're just going to keep diving into topics just like this. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts. But more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.